0: Mostly it's a grind. Having kids, it's a grind you fall in love with. It's the original Stockholm Syndrome. Those tiny captors. I'm not a breeder that goes around telling other people that you got to have kids. It's so great. Jump on in. The water's warm. It's not. It's icy cold and it's filled with sharks. But there are some times when you... You, you're you just shocked. Your jaw drops. You can't believe it. You can't believe it. It's not... When you see your kids behaving like you behave, that's filled with shame. Because you know that came from me. When you see them operating as human beings, you think, yeah, I I taught them. Did I teach them? I think I taught them that. The other day I overheard... The little ones say to the big one, I'm doing a load of laundry. Do you have anything to put in? Can you believe that? From an 11-year-old. You know, there are times when you think, ah, some of the good stuff has actually gotten through and not just my bad behavior. Uh, there was another breakthrough this week. What was it? Oh, we were down at the pool. The pools opened early, or some of them. Ten of the Toronto public pools opened early because of global heating. So we went down to our local Sunny Side, and it's an incredible pool. If if you've listened to my previous podcast, "Dear Diarrhea," which um. I think it was in Dear Diary. It was probably in To My Glorious Self, too. I jammed two podcasts into one. It's still available. It's called To My Glorious Self. I can't remember which episode, but I talk at length of my love for Sunnyside Gus Ryder Pool or Gus Ry- the Gus Ryder Pool at Sunnyside or something like that. There's two Gus Ryder Pools in, in, in the GTA. This guy must have been a legend. I got to look him up. Uh, the pool is like ground zero for a number of neighborhoods to c- conjugate at. It's a large 100-year-old pool. It's the size of a f- football field. It has a weird uh, Victorian, no, Edwardian, no, Georgian p- pavilion beside it, which is sort of underused. It In one corner, it has a really good restaurant. But the pool, the change rooms are disgusting. And then you got to run the gauntlet of these showers. And they're supposed to like clean off the unwashed masses before you get into the pool. But only one and a half works. So everybody just walks around them. And the uh, languorous, uh, lethargic teens are just sitting there, just staring, bored out of their minds. The pool itself is where generations of Park aliens were conceived. It's where the multi-generational who don't have any room, who don't have their own privacy, their own apartments, this is where they come to snog, under the cover of clear water. The water is filled with sand, band-aids, leaves, When people aren't there, there's tons of ducks in there. The lifeguards are, well, I mean, they change. When we first started going this, very pushy when the kids were little. Very naggy, always trying to tell me how to parent. I got into a lot of yelling matches there. The people watching is unbelievable. The regulars, the neck tattoos, uh, the body mass indexes. The shapes, the sizes, the colors, the parenting styles, the yelling, the drama, the music. You got to see it. It's just amazing. So we were down there. There was four kids, all of them. I was just sitting there, you know, I'm just sitting there in the water, kind of close to them, kind of not. And uh, and they all did their deep water test. I'm, uh, you know, I just saw them doing it. And my 11-year-old even made it. And he's not a strong swimmer. He's very opposed to taking swimming lessons. And there may be some correlation there. He made it too. So suddenly, I no longer had to watch them in the shallow end. They were allowed to go into the deep end with without me. Now I was standing there trying to read my book. But the bodies, I mean, I couldn't focus. The bodies everywhere. the, the peop- It's amazing. I love it. I fell in love with Toronto again, and the pool is right on the shore of Lake Ontario, mocking mocking the filthy lake. Like, hey, look at this. It's heated over here, and there's stuff to look at, including my kids, who spent most of their time just um, madly gripping onto the side of the, of the deep end. They eventually ventured into the middle and floated there on their backs before swimming over to the edge to get out. Progress was made. Progress was marked. When you mark something, you can manage it. When you measure things, you can manage it. I, 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 I try to remember. When you write stuff down, you can go and look back at it. I think this is how... This is how we learn, and this is how we gain confidence. So how do we simulate this on a weekly basis with performance or with our life or with relationships? Well, you got to rack up the wins, no matter how small. The other day, um, Persimonious Kevin and I were having a discussion at the bank. Uh, I've talked about Persimonious Kevin, right? He's got this, oh, strange way of talking at the bank. You sit down in front of him, and he's a teller, I think. Or something a little higher up without actually being... He doesn't have an office. He doesn't have a cubicle. But he gets the, the chair at the tellers' the bank of tellers at the bank. You know, the chair. He's, he gets the, the wicket with the chair. So you sit there, and he says, and if you'd like to insert your uh, card we will begin the session and your account is now coming up on the screen he 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 comments on it like you're watching F1 or golf he he'll he'll comment along every step of the way anyways i was in there i discovered a mistake the bank made it may have even been kevin's fault and i got him to give me free uh, no fee, no fees for a year. They screwed up. I pointed it out. He was very disbelieving at first. couldn't Couldn't believe that the bank would have made a mistake. He discovered they had, and then I said, "Could you make it right?" And he said, "I think we can." What do you have in mind? And I said, "No, no fees for a year for all of my accounts." And I got that. That is a huge win. So you got put to that, put that in your self-esteem pipe and smoke it, I said to myself. Don't just wander off and think of something else to worry about. Think about this. Think about how good this is. And think about how you can replicate it elsewhere. Where can you do it? I think for my kids, I, I need to simulate, uh, what do you call it? Adversity, so they can practice in a safe environment, so they can get those wins, so they can increase their confidence, so they know that that uh, they can take the subway. I mean, there's a chance of acid being thrown in their face, or or uh, or getting stabbed, but it's small, mostly because they're male. Them at the pool and them with the laundry. I don't know. I think that was that was when I shut up and got out of the way both those times. I shut up and got out of the way. I didn't simulate anything. It was me making room for them. I think you have to do that in your performance too. You got to make room for your scene partner. That's why you That's why you listen. You got to make room for the audience. That's why you don't spell it out to them. That's why you don't paint in broad strokes. That's why you go with what George Saunders calls happy befuddlement. You don't have to say things like, in real life now I'm talking about, uh, as I said. When you say, as I said, as I was saying, as I've already said, you're admitting to the other person that you're repeating yourself. So I think that is a, that is a, that is a green flag to shut up. Same with performance. Stand there and listen. I know you got lines to say. But when you're not talking those blessed lines of yours. Don't sit there and wait for your chance to talk again. It's not about having the snappy comeback. It's about having the clunky, weird, awkward pauses that are the truth, that are truthful, that resonate, that the audience goes, oh, I see something's happening. I'm not sure what it is, but it's interesting. Does this all hang together? I'm not sure. Let's start the show. In class this week, we talked about styles. I was part of a casting session last week, and the director wanted performance that was very wooden, very, um, very dried out. He wanted all the... He wanted your the cap on your effervescence tightened up all the way. Not just to a point of um, realism, but to a point of, uh, I don't know, it's not surrealism, is it? I mean, maybe it is. There weren't a lot of rhinoceroses talking to each other and melting clocks. I don't know. What's the word? Have you ever seen a Yargos Lanthimos movie? It's like that. Have you ever seen a Tim Godsell commercial? It's like that. What was challenging to the actors auditioning was the redirection, was the having to ditch your previous brilliant ideas that you came in with, perhaps the very ideas that you auditioned with in your initial audition, and for this callback, you had to ditch them and then take a redirect from a director who was in London. So you couldn't see him. He wasn't in the room. You could barely hear him. He was on a tiny speaker. And he was very nice about it. So he, it, the direction wasn't direct. It was indirect. It was couched in a lot of... Um, he's one of my favorite types of directors. He's very encouraging. He's not a dick at all. I love that. I love that. But I do also like the direct director who just says, do it faster. Do it this way. Now try it this way. Now do it this way. That's Then you get a lot of stuff accomplished. Redirection is when you're able to operate without your ego. You've got to be able to ditch habituated behavioral patterns. You've got to be able to, the way you do this is by staying present. It's a wholly unsatisfying Uh, answer. Because how do you stay present? Well, you do things like practice being present. You walk around the neighborhood going, I'm walking up the street now, I'm looking at this tree now, I'm looking at that car now. You read books by Patsy Rodenberg, who talks about being in second circle, which is presence, which is egoless. I mean, there's always going to be the ego there. I'm not talking about enlightenment. I'm just talking about uh, operating with some self-awareness so when you 're in that moment, i would all, I used to do this when a director or anyone when anyone started talking to me and it wasn 't um, yelling or loud or uh, pointed or I would just zone out my my vision would go soft. I also started uh, doing that um, as a defense mechanism. When I was faced with a crowd of people, I would just sort of mildly cross my eyes. Do you do this? So my vision has just gone a bit soft. It It was to protect me against the hundreds of adoring fans out there staring at me. The problem was is that I was now outside of my body and kind of in my head but not really engaged at all. When you're present, when you're in the room, when you come in with, you've made one choice, you do that audition, you let her rip, and then you get the redirect from the director if you're so lucky, that's when you really have to pay attention. All they want, when a director says, okay, let's do it again and this time, and they they throw out some direction, all they're really saying is do it differently just do it differently. If you're given the chance to do it a second time, it behooves you to do it differently. If you're going to do it the same time, they're filming you. They've already got that. They've already got that on media. They've got that. They need to see something different and surprising. This also applies to self-tapes. You got 30 seconds to really surprise the hell out of them. So this director last week who was looking for this Yargos Lanthimos type acting that you can see in Dogtooth or his uh, um, other movie The Favorite about Queen Anne uh, with all the anamorphic lenses or my favorite uh, The Lobster with Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. And um, styles there aren't even uh, consistent. Some people are acting differently than others. Colin Farrell and Rachel Weiss uh, act differently when they're, uh, when they're in a relationship as opposed to before they meet. John C. Riley is doing John C. Riley. Now there's somebody who has gotten out of his way. He's never anybody else but John C. Riley, and it's captivating that weird face, the hair, the way he talks, that voice. Oh man, can you teach that? I hope you can. I hope that I can teach you to get out of your way. And, uh, and what I was trying to do with the last class was um, an awareness of styles, an awareness of what directors want and who directors are emulating. There's, um, there's the style that you would do in theater. There's the style that you would do on uh, a CW show. There's the style that you would do in a Pinter play versus uh, a Jez Butterworth play. There's, um, it's just not enough to go in like you're doing real life. You just can't go in there conversationally, even though I say in an earlier episode I talk about how to keep it conversational. But that's not what we're talking about here. What I'm talking about is there is, There are styles applicable to performance. It's akin to reading the room, and it has a lot to do with this is make-believe, that this is fiction, that we're doing something other than real life here. Everything has to have intention, every move, every blink. When a camera's right in front of your face, every blink becomes a choice. That's not real life. In real life, we're coughing and clearing our throats and scratching our scalps and picking our ears and smelling our fingers and leaning and switching from hip to hip and, oh, my feet hurt and blah, blah, blah. We can't do it when there's a camera in front of us. It's got to be distilled. It's got to be art. It's got to be stylistic. All this is, it's, this is not more obstacles. This is more fuel. Now you have different tools you can use. You see the way they act in something recent that you've seen. Oh, I don't know, The Lighthouse. Versus um, Double Indemnity from 1944. A Billy Wilder film starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. Watch Barbara Stanwyck do a whole bunch of different things all at once. I mean, this was the beginning of the method. By the way, the method is just a method. It's not the method. It's a method with a cool name. There are plenty of methods. You don't have to all be Jeremy Strong's out there. It might work for him. Might not work for you. The, the way you figure it out is, is you try it. You do your due diligence. You see what works. Okay, but don't become the newly converted who's crowing from the rooftops. I've found the answer. So we talked about styles and how that related to redirects. When you discover the style in the room, I mean, if only there was some more information before you get into that second audition and you And the director all of a sudden wants you to do something completely different. If only there was more info, but sometimes we just don't. We're just not allowed that. We just aren't afforded that, so we have to stay nimble. That's when we stay present. That's when we rely on listening. And just just another thing um, from me being on the other side of the table: quit being so nice, quit being so friendly. It comes off as needy. Of course I like nice and friendly. I I mean, I don't. I don't actually like nice. I think it's bullshit. But the point is, is that when you're in an audition, play it cool, man. Play it cool. Play it like you've got all the answers. Play it like they're not they're lucky to have you there, but that you're going to do your best to take care of them. That's a position of power. That's leadership. You've got something that they want, rather than the needy actor who comes in, all smiles, and stands there nervously and does weird stuff in their slate, and then uh, at the end of it says, thank you so much for your time, that was fun. Watch that scene with What's Her Face, uh, Emma Stone in La La Land, when she's auditioning, and uh, she puts her stuff down between her feet on the ground. She starts to audition. They cut her off halfway through, which uh, that's never happened, I don't think. That's never happened to me. They'll at least let you do it once. And then she goes, oh, okay. And then she picks up her stuff, her sides, and her phone, and her car keys, and then she looks at them and goes, that was fun. When clearly it wasn't fun. Not fun at all. But we think we need to tell them, you know, it's sort of like a reclamation of power. No, no, I had fun. Look, no one wants to be there. No one wants to be auditioning and no one wants to be casting. Human resources is difficult. It's exhausting. It's expensive. And you have to come in from God knows where. Some people came in from Ottawa. That's five hours away. That's insane. Anyway, styles and redirection. Be aware of the style of the show you're auditioning for. Be ready to get redirected by a director who has a vision. Okay, let's read some questions.
1: Hi, Jason.
0: uh, Janet from Toronto here. I'm not an actor, but I wonder if there's one thing that I could learn from you, like one lesson of of acting, that I could apply in my day-to-day life, what would that be? Take risks with your ego. Thanks, Janet. Take risks with your ego like a performer does. It's so rewarding, and you become acclimatized to the fact that you're still alive after you jump off these proverbial cliffs without actually jumping off of a cliff. It's such a rush to go out there and take risks in a crowded room. I'm not as good at it, uh, like in the cocktail party sense, as I am when there's a stage because of that separation. But it still holds that anytime you put yourself out there, Stuff is going to happen, and if you if if you realize that the result is is not always your business, let alone something you can control, then you can get more rewards in life by sticking your neck out. Like uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Frank O'Hara, the Irish writer, the late great, he said, "I am out." He said, "And I am out on a limb, and it is the hand of God." To me, what that means is, is then is when you're bold enough to take risks in your real life and don't waste a minute on shyness, uh, it means like you're fulfilling God's vision of you. Now, I'm not into God or visions uh, from on high, honestly, but it, for lack of a of better wording, do you know what I mean? Like, it's about uh, the feeling you get after you do take that leap of faith. And you go, holy shit, two things happened. I feel alive. And secondly, that wasn't that bad. So you're both still breathing, and and, and you're you're getting used to taking these risks. The first one's always hardest. The starting is always the hardest. The other things that—I know you asked for just one, Janet, but I've got others. The other things that I think performers are so good at is uh, they play with feelings. They practice with feelings, and feelings are crazy, and I think way more people should practice with feelings uh, rather than just be the feelings when the feelings g- come and surprise us. It's like role-playing all the time, and it's really fun, and I think it's it's very good, especially for relationships. Uh, then performers also practice empathy putting themselves in other people's shoes. They practice um, listening you know if they, if they're if they're worth their two cents. they practice um, risk taking. I talked about that they uh, play dress up and they collaborate. This doesn't just apply to performers, obviously, but collaboration in this era of uh, the self is so important. Uh, We think we have to do it all. We're in a hero culture right now where the only movies that get made and put in a theater are about one man. It's never just one man. There's a ton of people. To get anything done, it takes a ton of people. And so if you're practicing collaborating, which is not an easy thing to do with a bunch of egos in the room, I think you just, you know, you gain all those... All those skills of the diplomacy, listening, waiting, patience, and on and on it goes. Janet, it sounds like you know how to talk. I was about to say the other thing that a lot of people could practice is talking properly. Talking on voice, being aware of the verbal ticks and tells that we have picked up along the way that no longer serve us you know, there's a lot of vocal fry in men and women these days, and it's fine, that's fine. I'm totally with the, the John McWhorter School of Thought. He's that Colombian linguist with the podcast uh, Linguistic Valley, is that what it's called? Anyways, he says, um, quit complaining about vocal fry. It's here to stay. It's just how English evolves. It evolves and it evolves and it evolves, and it's always the old people that complain about change, and and that was me. So, I'm not opposed to it, I just wonder which serves. What role are you playing? Who's your audience? Have you read the room? How are you going to present? How are you going to talk? How are you going to get your needs met from these people?
1: Hi, my name is Maile Carino and I'm calling from Newmarket, Ontario. I just had a couple of questions. I am a newbie in the industry. I was doing mostly commercial work the past year, and now I'm ready to dive into film and television. And my first question is this Because self tapes are the norm nowadays, and casting directors see thousands of self tape submissions, what can I do to make my self tape stand out? Besides the the great acting <laughs> and the second question I had is once the casting gets received a self-tape what is the process through which they choose do they scrub through it or do I have to catch them within the first 15 seconds do they watch the entire tape um, yeah I just wanted to know what happens and once casting chooses it then where does it go what's the step-by-step process as to who chooses the actor that makes the booking? Um, I also just wanted to say I love your podcast. It's really helping me along the way. And um yeah, I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, Mylene. You gotta You gotta stand out in the first thirty seconds. I think. I mean it's not like they put out a bulletin saying Hey, this is what you got to do. Because no one really knows what you got to do. I mean, everyone's just filled with hope. Everyone's trying to protect their job. No one's sitting back. Casting directors, agents, producers, directors alike. No one's sitting back going, Oh, man, this is easy. Ah, oh, what a wonderful way to make a living. Everybody is stressed out, overworked, and underpaid. Everybody has got their uh, Lord of the Manor to serve, and um it's kind of like musical chairs. Some might say it's it's musical chairs on the Titanic these days seems that way. But anyway, so you've got to separate yourself from the pack. What I do is I make a short film for every audition uh there's sound effects, there's b-roll. There's uh, I'm going to put some of these up on uh, up on YouTube um, because I think that once the show has aired, you, I can put my audition up there and it doesn't matter. And then you'll see you'll see what what I'm doing to stand out. Uh, I do. I put a lot of bells and whistles on on there in order for for it to serve the story, to serve the audition, to make the audition my own. That's really the key here. The audition is not uh, something you offer up to strangers. The audition is for you. It has to be. The chances are slim. The chances are getting worse and worse. So you have got to make it for you. It has to be fulfilling. This must be a joyful process. Otherwise, why are we doing it? For the money? No. This is Canadian showbiz. We've got to be doing it for us. Luckily we don't have to get our money and our and our meaning from the same place. So if you can't make a living as an actor, it's totally understandable. In fact, having done both, I think I prefer having a day job because it takes the pressure off of the auditions. Then you don't need this job. You don't need this gig. You don't need this audition. And coming in from a place of detached, detached coolness is way more powerful than coming in going, oh my God, please, I hope they like me. Please, please like me. Once a casting director told me I booked so many commercials because of my mild contempt. Because I always thought, you know, like, ah, we're making sausages here, so I'm not going to get worked up about it plus i i'm just naturally high status most of the time and low without me even knowing it that's what people like because mostly actors come in there desperate desperate to please desperate for the job so that's the first thing you got to shed is your need for the gig secondly when you're doing a self tape you got to be surprising off the top i mean weird Okay, I mean, I mean, shocking, but it's got to relate to the character and the world of the store of the of the show or movie that you're in. So it can't just be bizarre. It's got to be like, oh, that's such a good idea. It's your interpretation of those lines on the page. I say this all the time in class. The words are not your hopes and dreams. That's the writer. That's their hopes and dreams. That's them desperate to keep their job on this show. Your job is to interpret those words. You're Glenn Gould. You're, you're, it's an interpretation that it has to be there. If you make it look just like real life when you're just talking to your friend, it's not going to be enough. There's got to be other stuff going on there. So, you know, karate kick your way into that self-tape, light your pants on fire, whatever you got to do, Within, within the world of the, of the show and then let her rip and then spend a whole time really listening to your scene partner even if it's, you know, your husband if we're self-taping at home it's t- good and bad even if the see, my scene partner is often my buddy T out in Hamilton on a FaceTime call I'm not even looking at him I mean, it's not great but I've done that on set too haven't you? I've acted opposite a, a, a tennis ball on a C-stand in the middle of um, a mud, muddy medieval village in rural Hungary. It was fine. No one can tell the difference. It's smoke and mirrors. It's, uh, it's, it's Hollywood. It's, it's fake. That's what we're doing. It's artifice. So you don't need perfect conditions. But what you do need to do is stand your ground, Take your God-given allotment of space on this earth without apology. Speak on voice so people can hear you. Level those eyeballs at your reader and give them the business. You got to bring the heat. I don't care if it's a comedy or a drama or whatever. You got to lock in and fire away. For your second question on what are the chain of events after you send a a self-taped audition into your agent, this is how it goes. Your agent watches it, probably, should, should probably do that uh, for quality control. If everything's okay, they send it to the casting studio. The casting associate watches all the self-tapes, not the casting director the casting associate makes their selects and then sits down and watches them again with the casting director. The casting director wheedles it down to the top whatever number they've agreed upon to send to the director, the director's EP, and the agency. The director of the... Um, I'm talking about commercials here, by the way. The director of the commercial is represented, represented by an exec producer who uh, runs a production company. A production company does two things. They represent directors and they, they uh, service produce commercials. So they'll put together the production of a commercial and they'll provide the director. The agency takes care of the client. The client, aka the brand, has hired the agency to develop an ad campaign. The agency will have a team of creatives uh, shepherd the campaign. They've written and drawn. Uh, they've and and they've found the director. They've hired the director. The agency, right? So now they look at your. So so there's. There's the agency is a proxy for the client. The production company represents the director. So there's three different entities that are going to look at the selects and decide who is coming in for a callback. And once the callback happens, then the agency goes away with or without the casting director, but with the director, and they talk about who they like, and that's when they show auditions to the client. This is what I think happens. Then they'll do something really annoying and they'll put a, a, a few of their top choices on hold, which isn't a real thing, uh, but it is, it's a thing where they go, uh, can, you just, can you just not go skiing this weekend and break your arm? Because we've, we've narrowed it down to two people. We, we want to make sure the schedules align. I have been on hold for many a commercial and lost them in the last, you know Sunday, the last day, the last quarter of a weekend, for whatever reason but that 's the that 's the way the cookie crumbles, so that is I think how it goes uh, it 's a convoluted process with many cooks in the kitchen, and that 's why once you once you audition, you just really got to forget about it. I mean, it took me years of practice to do that, and I still think about ones that I missed out on that I, that I got close on. You know, like, um, oh, playing a racist podcast host in the latest Kiefer Sutherland TV show. I would have loved to have done that. That would have been juicy. Anyways, I got to let that one go. You got to let them go because there's so many voices at the table. So many decision makers that it's not, it's no reason to beat yourself up over it or feel badly about it. Because you just don't know why they didn't go for you. Thanks so much, Mylene. Great question. If you would like me to answer a question on the show, please send me a voice memo from your phone to jasonbryden at gmail.com. That email again is jasonbryden at gmail.com. If you haven't already subscribed to my Substack, head on over to boldacting.substack.com and sign up with your email address. It's a weekly five to ten minute read. Uh, about my strong opinions on uh, performance technique and other things. I also do a voiceover for every newsletter, so you don't actually have to read it if you're the um, auditorily inclined like I am. I would love you forever if you rated and reviewed with glowing five-star reviews. Uh, Hyperbolic language. You know, just tell the people the truth that this has changed your life and you couldn't get along without me. Thank you so much. And if you're in Toronto, don't forget to check out my class, Jason Bryden's The Sunday School, every Sunday, 5 to 8 p.m. at Ground Glass Casting. Go to BoldActing.com for more information. And now for the newsletter. The Bold Acting Newsletter, Issue 11 for June eighteenth, 2023. I would have never made it as a woman in Afghanistan. The fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of death. The risk of the former is more immediate than the latter for most of us. And because we are inherently lazy creatures, proximity plays an outsized role in how we determine what to worry about. You can watch my video about prioritizing your worries on youtube.com slash jason bryden. We worry about being ostracized by our cohort, the people that make up our extended social circle. These aren't restricted to our friends. They are normally people we can count on in spite of our behavior. For some reason, we include perfect strangers in the cohort of people we need to please. We are constantly trying to measure up with veritable strangers. Keeping up with the Joneses is like trying to keep up with the train that left a half an hour ago. Moving targets are a recipe for missing the mark 99% of the time. We don't want to be the tallest poppy. This is a great Canadian tradition. Tall poppy syndrome. Our fear of being different stops us from taking risks. But really, this is just a fear of being ourselves. We worry that our self is not good enough. Our self is the only self we have, however... It's the only self possible. It's your best chance. This is how you can separate yourself from the pack. And the good news is, you are an expert at it. You just have to get out of your own way. Getting out of your own way means shedding the tells and ticks you've adopted in order to survive an ordeal like childhood, high school, relationships, parents, reality, When we leave the nest, we see how hard life really is. I don't mean being a woman in Afghanistan or anything serious. I can't imagine. I mean I remember coming out of university that my parents paid for and being on my own for the first time, and I could not believe how hard it was. I needed two jobs just to stay afloat. I was living on the very margins. And margins are not only relative, but difficult. Relative to the Afghani woman, I've got nothing to complain about. Once we finish dismissing our complaints because there are people that have it harder than us, we can admit that we build up walls just to get by. Whether you have all the privilege or none of it, there will be suffering. We do it to ourselves. Now that we know we have these walls, we can set them aside. They're actually tools They've got us this far, didn't they? They'll always be there for us. But they're not us. Feel the feelings. Don't be the feelings. This is my interpretation of living with the third eye. You gently observe your own behavior. You tweak it like you would tweak a puppet if you held the strings. Nothing is a big deal. The good things in life are no longer met with baseless effusiveness. The bad things aren't the end of the world. We are calm in the face of adversity. This is also called leadership. The other day I was riding my bike home from the liquor store. The weather was fine. I was on my bike, and I had a fresh bottle of gin that was going to help me make a very wet martini when I got home. When I was turning left from High Park Boulevard to Sunnyside Avenue, a car to my left waited for me. The truck behind them honked impatiently. As I rounded the corner, I set my sights on the driver of the truck. It was a Polish man in his 60s. As I gave him the hairy eyeball, he said, "'Watch it, Fruit Loop!' A classic old man burn. A simple, reductive, lightly homophobic shot across my bow. It made me nostalgic." I delighted in his high-level curmudgeonliness, because I used to be indiscernibly angry like him. But I also realized three things. One, there are plenty of dinosaurs still roaming the earth. Two, when you're riding your bike on a sunny day, there is little reason to throw shade on what should be joyful progress. And three, if I'm still alive after riding my bike through the streets of Toronto... I'm doing great. I know that if I'm breathing, then everything's okay. I've lowered my expectations that much. For the result is really out of our hands. There are too many variables at play. All I can control is that I do more than people expect of me. I make going the extra mile my new bare minimum. But for a selfish, often wrong-headed person like myself, this takes time and practice. As Ted Turner said, early to bed, early to rise, work real hard, and advertise. The shortest distance home was to ignore the angry man in the truck. Ignoring potential conflict was not always my modus operandi. Too often I would look for confrontation. I got a real charge out of being right. But you can be right or you can be loved. Katy Perry said that. The shortest distance to growth is facing the adversity in front of you. For me, it's organizing papers with numbers on them. I can't stand them. I also have to relearn how to do a spreadsheet. For some, it is public speaking. For others, it is being ourselves. Whatever your thing is, go after that which is in front of you right now. And thank your God you don't live in Afghanistan. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For more information, go to boldacting.com. Don't forget to sign up for the Substack, a weekly newsletter at boldacting.substack.com. If you like the podcast, spread the word. That's what I need. I need you to spread my words all over this country. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. Nobody likes a whiner. And if you're in the Toronto area, my class is every Sunday, 5 to 8 at 48 Cothra in the Junction. I'll be adding more classes this summer after a break in July. This is July of 2023. Until next time.